You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. And welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd podcast. Nerds. I got nothing this week. <laughs> well, we, well, we have you. That's yeah, right. there we go. <laughs> have my pretty face that none of y'all can see on the microphones. <laughs> Cap Nun, ladies and gentlemen, also joining is Alex Diff, both from the Something Good For You podcast. Yo, yo. I'm Russ Ward, and I am your uh, guest, uh, for lack of a better word host yes sir and uh we have been trucking through the history of kiss album by album year by year we're not experts we don't claim to be blah 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 (laughs) (laughs) we just have read up and have uh listened to a lot of things regarding kiss and have very strong opinions oh yes (laughs) see last week (laughs) Or the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're in the middle of the Dynasty era, and this is, of course, now a part two episode, another another multi-part episode, but there's this is this is such a big year for Kiss that it sort of warranted multi-episodes. Yeah, so. It's hard not to get granular with uh, 1979 in particular. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of, this is kind of a dark chapter in kiss history yeah and 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 kind of sad too because when it's all over it's all over and and, it, and, and, and in my personal you know researching this and stuff and it delves into a you know a very strong deeply seated sense of nostalgia i have for this because i lived through it you know it's it's like man you know it kind of almost hurts in a way to see how this all just sort of goes you know kaput, kaput. um but uh, we, we went through the album Dynasty uh, track by track uh, last episode and some of the you know minute detail points on that. So if you haven't listened, maybe go back and give it a, a check out. Now we're getting into what will be the Dynasty tour and um, and everything that comes along with it because there's a lot. Yeah, they start planning this as late as... Uh, as late or is it maybe i should say as early as late 1978 because this was supposed to be like the most grand this stage is going to be their their yeah they're really going for it on this they uh they hire uh people to do costume designing um the costumes are going to be more ornate and they're going to be much more colorful some people call this their disney costumes but mm-hmm. you know these are all uh, theme to these color identities that they've developed in the since the solo, solo albums, the you know the purple, red, green, mm-hmm. and blue. Uh, a guy named and I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, Pete Menifee, who would go on to win uh, three Emmys, who's nominated five times as a costume designer in television and movies. Well, Emmys are television, but. Um, so they're getting like professional guys. I think Pete Menifee had done design costume design work for Cher, and that might have been 
a connection there a connection with Gene. somewhere in there. When they, not even necessarily with Gene. I think Cher had ended up hooking up with Casablanca for a nanosecond. I remember reading that somewhere yeah, too. Yeah, they bought her a Jeep, and, <laughs> and, in, and in the process, pissed off Donna Summer, so they had to buy Donna Summer. <laughs> oh well, the thing was, well, if we're getting to the whole share Donna Summer's Gene Simmons thing, that, that there was just a whole bunch of weird backstabbing and shit going on. I don't that know. One. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I, I'm not know. either. But I, I'm we, saying, we with purpose, researching all this, yeah. I run across those eras, and I'm like, well, he didn't. Whoo. He was. It was. Di- it was. Di- uh, Diana Ross. Diana Ross. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. Well, even his own mom would get that confused. Oh, I always loved Diana, Donna, right? Whatever. Donna. <laughs> so, Donna my Dixon. Bad. So, no, wait, that was Paul. Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't like to get into the. I don't. No. We don't like to talk about that stuff. On no. Here. <laughs> the gossipy the uh, gossipy, episodes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they even hire Kenny Ortega, a dance. Uh, instruct or I guess a coordinator or whatever they what's the word they call it? a choreographer yes choreographer and uh, within my research that was due to the fact that uh, Sean Delaney and Bill Coyne kind of were on the outs and Sean disappeared yeah I guess Sean's kind of taken to the hills here I mm-hmm. don't well he's got a solo album that's going to come out this year too that was recorded basically at the same time as Gene's album solo mm-hmm. album with all the same guys. And, um, Which I do it, find is interesting because um, was I know Vinny Poncio is involved, but didn't Sean have a hand in I Was Made For Loving You also? Yeah, you know, I don't know. That's okay, not Vinny, but, if, but, but if he did, I do find that interesting that he would have been around for the earlier stages, but then by the time it was time to co- do choreography and staging, he wouldn't have been around. Well, I don't think he was super involved in it at this point anyway. Mm-hmm. Um but when, here everything is getting I'm sorry I was about to ask if this is when Bill was starting to go off the rails a little bit too. Oh absolutely. And you know everything's going to go off the rails here. I mean this is the era of what what is you know generally referred to as quote unquote super kiss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or and, as I was calling it the sycophant tour because yeah. basically everyone was in their own little bubble and being placated oh, yeah. in some way shape or form and yeah. no one was saying no to anyone or anything. Nope. Well, well, actually, there was, but we'll until, get to that. Until, we'll get yeah, to that until they did. In, 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 in Leading up to pulling the trigger. <laughs> so you've got Kenny Ortega choreographing dance moves, I guess, primarily for Paul. Mm-hmm. And uh, he later did stuff with like Ferris Bueller's Day Off yeah, and a did, whole bunch of other yeah, big blockbusters. Dirty dancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michael Jackson. Yeah. So, he, so he, this he, isn't, he, you know, he went on, this wasn't like some random schmo. This is a guy who knew his shit. Went on to do big things. Uh, Him and Desmond Child, just uh, it, Paul Stanley, just forming the 80s right here. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these guys, yeah. You heard it here, y'all. Yep. <laughs> kiss, kiss, kiss designed the 80s. <laughs> so at that, ooh, that'll be an interesting thing. So at that point, were they truly the trend followers or were they setting the trends and not following it? Oh. <sighs> Just, just Paul. <laughs> My head just exploded. Uh, so, and, and they are. Uh, Paul is designing a stage in conjunction with a company called Theater Techniques. And the idea here is to have a stage that is an unobstructed view, a 360 degree view like you can sit behind the stage and still be able to see it yeah because um, uh, if you read his quote he says that uh, he doesn't want to have uh, everybody anybody feel left out yeah from any uh side of the stage or experience so all of this is going on basically in the winter of 79 um there oh there's i i, I 
come across an interesting little factoid here. The KISS logo, the stage sign on the back of the stage, mm-hmm. was intended to be updated for this stage. And, and oh, yeah, and real quick. ring it neon. And, and real quick, before people hop in the comments, it was late 78, not late 79. Did I say late 79? You said 79. Yeah. I was sitting there going like, is that right? Look, man, I'm an old man. (laughs) And I have a touch of the Alzheimer's. So just work with me, people. Work with me. Um, So, yeah, I think it's interesting that they they were going to update the the big kiss sign in the back yeah. and they didn't. And of course that sign doesn't get updated until the 1985 tour, but we'll, oh, wow. that's another, that's another discussion for <laughs> oh, another that, day. That could be its own episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it won't be. So I'm going to, I'm going to, before we get too deep into all this, let me, well, let's, well, well, let me go ahead and tell this story. And if I'm retreading old ground, we can edit this, but on Easter Sunday, 1979, um, I was—I would have been eight years old. My brother was 12. We were visiting my grandparents for Easter. Who'd have thought? Fun, you know. yeah. <laughs> no, we were, on Easter Sunday, we were visiting my grandparents for Halloween. And, <laughs> and Dad called us into the front room, and he's sitting in, his, in the chair, and he's got the newspaper folded on his knee. And, you know, he has this – I can't – imitate my dad very well but he has this ability to go into this like radio voice right when he's very serious Mm -hmm. and he gets us in he's like he gets us he's like boys the paper and he i remember this he slapped the paper he goes the paper you know patted it (laughs) on his knee the paper says kiss is coming to roanoke (laughs) (laughs) calm down calm down would you like to go What's the right answer? What's the right answer? What's the right answer? Like, uh, like, 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 I'm gonna go. uh, Nah, I don't think so. (laughs) You got to remember, this is you know the spring of '79, and there, you know, it'd be like Russ. If you could do one thing in the world, what would it be? You know, you want to go to Disney World? No. Do you want to go to the moon? No. What (laughs) What do you want? I want to see Kiss. Yeah. Okay. That's that's the end all, be all. That's it. There's nothing higher in my little brain at that point than to be able to see Kiss. I cannot think of anything better. Nothing. This is like the absolute pinnacle of all my, like I said, everything I was doing in school, math test. Okay, math test, great. Uh, Here, you know what? The teacher might appreciate this picture of Ace Fraley here in the corner. (laughs) I've got talents. She didn't appreciate it. (laughs) I think I told that story. I once turned into a thing thing with a a picture of Gene wagging a bloody tongue or something, and the teacher wrote beside it, I did not ask for this. Yes, actually, <laughs> I'm like I, no, but look, it's great. <laughs> actually, I know you. Uh, I think you shared that one, but I know I didn't share this quick side story for talking about art. Uh, my art teacher in elementary school asked us to do kind of like the um, um, uh, frou frou artist from the '70s. I wasn't on that train of thought. Um, uh, that that's the soup can. Oh, Warhol. Oh, Warhol. He yeah. wants to do Warhol type things where it's like it's the four panels with different colors to set in the other. And he's like, "Well, what do you want to do?" And he had like all this clip art. And I was like, eh. I "Said I want, I want to do a guitar." And he was like, "Well, what kind of guitar?" I was like, "I like Ace Frehley's Gibson guitar, Les Paul." Yeah, 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 yeah. And I started spitting all the nerds. And he just kind of looked at me. and He goes, "Oh, you like Kiss?" 
So it's like he let me do oh, yeah. any art project to be Kiss related. I oh, was the one cool. few one, and uh, he goes, "I have some Kiss records." He goes, um, "Is it okay if I give them to you?" I was like, "Uh, yeah." He goes, "Well, I just gotta check with your mom first. And about a week later, he walks me out uh, to the car, and he had "Lick It Up" and "Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits," but both were radio promos. Oh, they weren't actually bought in the store. And he was like, "Hey, um, your son says he really likes Kiss, and I've got these. I don't use them. I use CDs these days." Uh, do, do you guys want them? And she was like, uh, yeah, if you've got any other kiss things you don't want. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, similar stories on at least art in school, but at least mine was appreciated. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, so Dynasty. And- so we get gathered up, and Dad's laying the, down the heavy news. Kiss is coming to Roanoke. And, in and, a radio and, voice, too, and, like you're hearing it on oh, the yeah, radio. Like, boys. And he gets, you know, Dad had this weird, you know, he had a way of, like, working us, you know. Yeah. And he's like, boys, you know, the paper says Kiss is coming to Roanoke. Would you like, I'll never forget that though. Would you like to go? <laughs> nah. <laughs> you know, there's two things that I will always stick with me with my dad. And that's one of them. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's one of those moments you never forget. The other no. time I, I did something and made him angry. And he, he, because the other side of my dad from the radio voice was when he got mad. Ooh. And I made him mad one time, and he, he I knew I was in trouble, and I started to cry. I was pretty pretty small. I might yeah. have been six, seven or something. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Russ, calm down. He got into the radio voice. He goes, calm down. I'm not mad, Russ. I'm not mad. I'm furious! <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, so these, those are the two yeah. things that will linger for the rest of my life. I will never forget either one of these things, but I prefer to remember the "Would you like to go?" Yes, that's a, that's a more fun memory. That, that was like one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Except, of course, you know, fate had already been decided for me. This conversation had been had with between my mother and my father before they even told us. Right. And side note: This would have been July tenth. Well, the concert. We'll get to yes. that. But this is this is you know the announcement in the paper. So this was Easter seventy nine. Had to have been Easter. I can't think of any other reason why we would have been at my grandparents' house. Um, and so mom and dad had already previously discussed this before he told us, and um, it was decided that my brother, being twelve, would be allowed to go. But there was no way mom was going to let her baby boy go. You know, Aww. baby Russ was not going to get to go to no crazy ass <laughs> rock concert with drugs and sex and, you know, fire or orgies on the, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what she thought went on, but she wasn't going to let me go. So they came up with a ruse. And I'm kind of surprised they did this because my mom being super conservative Christian, right? You know, she would, they lied to me and said, he goes, Russ, I'm sorry, but it says you have, you must be 10 years old to attend the concert. No. Oh, oh wow. This is a lie. Of yeah. course. Yeah. But I wouldn't have, no- you know, it's not like I was going to go, give me that newspaper. Let me see that. <laughs> shit. I, I didn't think like that. It was just, I just assumed that that was true. You know, I didn't, oh. I didn't even. It didn't even occur to me that they would lie to me. And mom wasn't present for this conversation, so maybe that's her out that she didn't lie to me. Right. You know, but it seemed like it would have been just as easy to say, Russ, you can't go. But they didn't want to do that, so no, they, they came up with this. You know, Well, if they had said, you just can't go, 
I already have a feeling with this as much as you, you. I mean, you already set it up. Do you want to go to the moon? Do you want to go to yeah. Disneyland? Or do you want to go see Kiss? You would have probably started doing everything in your power to try and go. Extra chores, being extra super sweet and nice. Anything you yeah, thought yeah. could have done. Wait, wait, and, wait. and they were probably wanting to save that. Being like, oh my God, I don't want him up our ass for the next two to three months. Bugging us about this fucking show. So, <laughs> anyhow... That's that's how we found out that they were coming. And then right around the same time, Dynasty popped up in the stores. We talked about that, I think, on the last episode. Yeah. yeah. So uh, back to the, oh, to the... Well, before we move away from that show, have you looked up audio bootlegs of that gig? Yes, because I have. There, exists, because there are yeah. some that yeah. exist. I, and I found recently a picture that was taken of some contest winners backstage. Oh, with, really? With a DJ named Bart Prater, who I knew his face because he used to be on the... Um, the telethon, the MDA telethon every year. He was one of the local guys. So, and that's what I spotted. That's what made me even look to see that it was Roanoke. I was like, that looks like Bart Prater. (laughs) And I was like, damn, I've never seen this picture before. But um, Cool, man. So, Kiss has got this, you know, they're planning this gigantic, enormous tour. Um, It's planned to do only a market, a market venues like mm-hmm. their idea is that you know instead of going to little podunk towns like dothan alabama or des moines iowa or Boise, Idaho, south carolina <laughs> or whatever these towns that they had hit regularly on previous tours because they were always trying to build and they were taking anything they could get you know now they're only going to play the new york cities and the chicago's and the detroit's and the you know the big media centers are the big city in any state and the idea is they would play multiple nights in every city. The guarantee that they're asking for this for their, from promoters is in the forty to fifty thousand dollar range. It's forty and fifty thousand dollars per show, right? Which back then was probably a sizable figure, but probably a fair one. It's a lot of today money. the The problem is, is that for this to be to to work, the promoters need to uh, have a sellout in order for the promoter to make any money himself. Right. Well, uh, we're going to see this isn't going to happen. Meanwhile, oh, the uh, laser show they planned for this. I forgot to yes. mention that. They planned to have lasers and, you know, I think Blue Oyster Colt was already touring with lasers. And I think they were the first band to be using that on the road. Yeah, I was going to say, because the, the geeky nerd side of me, of course, kind of leaned into that side and kind of looked into it a little bit more. This was very primitive early lasers. They had to still be water-cooled. They were very temperamental. Yeah. It wasn't even like the technology we had, you know, later on in the 90s with like laser pointers. Right. You know, it's like this This was extremely high-tech, expensive technology. Right. And Paul was wanting to wear one on on his fucking face yeah he, he was a, well paul didn't they they had the idea that he could have a some sort of uh optic cable i guess mm-hmm. that it would give the illusion that he was shooting a laser from his eye like he does like, like, like he does in the movie <laughs> yep. you know and uh and he was supposed I, to use it during i think he was saying they wanted to use it during the uh, the black diamond guitar intro that way they could blow fog around mm-hmm. and then have it kind of like shooting out and it kind of looking you know like it's just coming straight from his eye just kind of moving around but then also kind of thinking about it in today's standard it's like if those super low powered laser pointers of the 90s was always talking about don't shine that shit in your eye yeah i think what, it's 
That's ironic, isn't it? Right? Mm-hmm. It would be coming from his eye, and he would be looking at the audience, shining it right. also well, directly in there. I don't know that eye. he was going to be... Sh- I don't know. I don't know how this was supposed to work. They decided it was too risky. It scared yeah. him really bad to have it that yeah. close to his eye. Yeah. The other idea is they were going to have the stage encaged with laser lights, like a, like a laser cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost something like they would eventually do on uh, the Revenge Tour, because they had that really... Um, they also kind of used it on the um, hotter than uh, hot in the shade tour. They had these oh, really the, intricate yeah. lasers behind them behind where they could them do they come out. Yeah, yeah, and then they could also have it like do different stuff during songs. Right. Like I remember during like Forever, they kind of had like an oceany looking vibe on it that kind of gave it this aura. So. Yeah, you know, I saw that tour and I, I don't rightly remember. I remember it. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but just yeah, talking about kinda, it, even took yeah. like that long for that sort of laser technology to even become feasible. Yeah, no and, and 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 it doesn't work and it causes a lot of grief and problems with the company that, that they brought in to do it. Um, but I, and, I, I didn't go too deep into that because I didn't think it was really relevant. No, other than to say it didn't, it didn't work. work. Yeah. <laughs> no. And the only other bit of info, uh, Paul references in his book that, uh, they tried taking that company to court for years mm-hmm. and eventually just lost. lost. Yeah. They oh, couldn't wow. get their money back, but they, they honestly tried because well, they saw it as such a failure. Well, they, the whole startup cost for this, for this tour is two point two million dollars. And and part of that was they had an A stage and a B stage because they were also thinking that they were going to do so crazy on this tour, sales figure wise, that they needed to have it set up to where they could have a separate stage going to the next city right. to yep. be set up. Well, did they do that though? They eventually didn't. Okay, uh, but that was the initial plan: is they were going to have an A and a B stage. That way, they could already ship that next stage off to the next city, right. get it set exactly. up, and then so they would have two Always road crews. overlapping. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, the other thing that I think is interesting about this is, you know, they come up with this complete cockamamie idea of something called Kiss World. Yes. Yeah. And this is a traveling they or gene. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a gene idea. <laughs> they, they this really got a sizable amount of development. And, mm-hmm. and this is the kind of stuff that they're just blowing money on. And this is just money spent that they see no return on. This is a traveling carnival slash theme park, you know, with rides and attractions, all kiss themed. Of course. Of course. <clears throat> and didn't they even purchase like a piece of land that they were going to have like a stationary version of? No, they, I don't think so. I think they were just looking at, properties that they could do it at because it. it had to be somewhere adjacent to the arena but it mm-hmm. had to be large enough for you know the the logistics of this is what really ended up killing it just this just the idea of it i mean it sound think about it i mean it's like you can't set it up in the arena parking lot because you can't swallow up parking for the arena so you would have to find somewhere close to the arena mm-hmm. you know and uh you got to deal with zoning and again, the space, the yeah, the the just the overhead is overwhelming, and that was enough to kill it. They even secured a circus promotion to pull it off. Yeah. So this is money again. They're just spending this money. <laughs> There's money before they even play the yeah. first date, and they're already. I mean, this thing is 
is huge. This and that's why like, I was saying, like at this point, it feels like that sycophant behavior where no <laughs> one is telling anyone no until they get to that first gig, which we'll get to. But it's like at this point, everything is just being told yes and just roll, roll, roll. Well, because the they have is, a, a successful single and a successful album too. It's 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 doing pretty good, I guess. And uh, but this is before the album's even released. The album's okay. released, mm-hmm. I think, in May. Didn't we say? I can't remember. Um, yeah, which would be only a month before the tour started. Okay. So uh, some of the opening acts that they have scheduled for this, most of it, I think, is going to be opened by, or maybe New not. England. I guess for yes, the most, most part, of it was right? New England, and that was a group that Paul was producing, right? Paul was co-producer. Um, if I don't know if anyone's ever taken the time out to listen to this stuff, this band, New England. There's a lot of names on the 1979 list that I. It's uh, not great, but it's not terrible. If I mean, just depending on what your tastes are. Uh, it's sort of a uh, post glam kind of thing, it's sort of sweet queen, pretty nineteen seventy nine by way of cheap trick. It's not as like you know. I might want to check that out. Thing. No, I've, I've never gone into that deep dive. But you explaining that sounds well, like stuff I'd like. It's interesting that, that despite this, you know, high profile gig that they've got opening for Kiss, uh, they don't break. Nothing really happens for this band. Um, some of the members would end up eventually uh, break off and form a new group called Warrior. And they had a guitar player in Warrior named Vincent Cusano. But, but we'll talk about Vincent Cusano. As yeah. soon as I don't you know said Warrior, I was like, oh, shit, it goes that deep. It goes <laughs> that deep. There's a lot of names on this uh, opener list that I haven't uh, done any deep dives on or anything like that. We've got groups like Nantucket who haven't done any uh, mm-hmm. really uh, Nantucket, research on. Nantucket is, is – we are in North Carolina. They were a North Carolina base act. Okay. And they had a couple of uh, minor hits in, in that era. I, I, I once worked with a guy. Uh, man, I was a keyboard player in Nantucket. I opened for Kiss at the Charlotte Coliseum in 1979. And it was like, pretty oh, cool, man. That's cool. I don't know if you're lying to me, but okay. There's a group called Whiteface. That's yeah, on there, too. I don't know what that is. Uh, but uh, some of the more name bands, Judas Priest opened a few shows. Uh, John Cougar. John Cougar and The Zone. Yeah, so John Cougar on his zone. early early runs mm-hmm. and uh lover boy opens a show in toronto and gets booed off stage oh wow ah, i didn't catch and that this one. is their own hometown man oh <laughs> wow i think Holy uh, shit. another band and this is noteworthy for a reason another band called breathless op- is going to open some of these shows yeah i saw that too i listened to that too and i found it to be uh, my notes say innocuous keyboard driven pop rock yeah, I have Dumb. no memory of it. The drummer, however, was a guy named Kevin Valentine, and he's going to play large in the latter era of Kiss history. Okay, when he plays drums on the Psycho Circus album, uncredited, and he also plays, I think, on. I think he might play on. I don't remember. I have to. We'll get to that. Mm, but it's about- interesting that you know these figures are starting to pop up. That you're going to see their names again as as time goes on. What about the Rockets? Um, I'm not familiar with that. I'm getting, you know, every time I see their name, I get them confused with a band out of LA called the Rock Cats. Okay. Levi and the Rock Cats. And I don't know why that, I guess Rockets and Rock Cats, it's not the same thing, but yeah. for some reason that just 
always gets me confused. I, I'm so I don't really know anything about the, the rockets. Apparently, they were formed by Jimmy McCarty and drummer Johnny uh, Bandajic, Johnny B. Anyway, former members of Mitch Ryder and the Mitch, Detroit, yeah, Re- yeah. Detroit Wheels. Those guys were in, yeah, played with Mitch Ryder. Um, the last <clears throat> date that Kiss has played on tour was in February of '78, February 3rd of '78, the final show they have done. Prior to this, Providence Rhode Island. Well, no, they actually, the last previous date was April 2nd, 78 in Tokyo. And then they played, of course, in uh, May of 78, May 19th for the movie. Right. Which we talked about in the previous episode. Go back and check it out in the archives, as they say. Yes. Check it out in the archives. (laughs) (laughs) And the first Dynasty show is scheduled for June 15th, 1979. That is a 15-month layoff for KISS, which is a huge expanse of time. But Mm -hmm. as we've detailed in the previous episodes, it isn't like they've been sitting on their hands. No. no. There's been a lot going on. And speaking of a lot going on, that was I'm really glad you said that. One of the other things I remember running across that I was reading just now and it reminded me was uh, not only were they trying to get the KISS World Traveling Amusement Park set up, they were also in talks with Hanna-Barbera to do an animated series. Well, we talked about that in a yeah, previous um, thing. That was but, all part of the process that led to the to Phantom the of the Park. Uh, not necessarily, because talks with this started in autumn of 78. Uh, well. And it never really got past uh, conception stage, anything else. Uh, a few of the artists later on, I think in the 90s, were being asked about this. And they said that like a few of their animators like on lunch breaks would kind of draw like idea sketches. But it never really went that far. But it was Gene was in talks with Hanna-Barbera to do a Kiss animated series. But the one thing that held it back was time logistics. Scooby-Doo, for instance, would take two years altogether to complete a a season start to finish. So it took a good handful of years for animation at that time to really get it all edited, colorized, voices, and then ready for TV. And it was just timing logistics and amount of money that they were trying to spend that it never really got past like the concept stage. I wonder if any of that exists at art. I'd love to be able to see that. Yeah. Just the little bit I was reading in here, it said, um, uh, no one really did much with it. So I'd highly doubt it. It sounds like it was like napkin sketches being like, Oh, we could maybe Still, draw. I'm sure like this. somebody somewhere had to have kept mm-hmm. something that would honestly, that, that would, would be, be something cool. That'd be cool to pop up. Yeah. So they're setting up in Lakeland, Florida in the pre rehearsals for this because apparently they could get the arena essentially for free. Right. Um, I don't know who did the routing for this tour, but as we see, this thing's kind of got some where it ends and then what time of year is kind of crazy. But, um, so they play their first two shows, I guess in Lakeland. Well, uh, technically, oh, one was canceled. One was the canceled. very right. first show yeah. on the tour it's was already canceled. out of the shoot. That's they, a, that's what I was referencing earlier, being yeah. like until that first show. But yeah, the first show <laughs> right out of the shoot, you know, and they're they're already realizing they're going to have to start picking up all the B markets to, mm-hmm. to make this show even remotely financially feasible. And one aspect that we also hadn't really touched on is. Um, kind of the vol- volatility of really all four members at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene was ex- re- was 
was kind of on his way out at this point. He was kind of becoming what everyone in the band was calling Hollywood. You know, yeah. he was starting to kind of disassociate a little bit more with, we have to get into the whole rumory side with, he was dating Cher around this period and, you know, kind of living in, I think he had moved out to LA even, you know, so it's like he was kind of changing his roots and moving out. Ace was going through his drug problems. Peter was being extremely erratic and Paul was on a huge ego trip. So, Peter being probably the most volatile of the four at the time, he was even giving like the, again, the quitting noises before the tour started. And I've listened back to even some of those tour rehearsal stuff from the um, uh, Lakeland, Florida stuff. And God, it is, it's, it's stuff that like things that he was already kind of maybe a little bit sloppy on the love going to love gun tour was like, Wow, he's already kind of hitting that yeah, this spot. Whole, the the bootlegs of this really show how erratic they mm-hmm. are. There's some that are pretty good, and then there's a lot that are pretty. So it's not. like internally yeah. for Kiss, yeah. they're already a little nervous all, about starting well, we the tour. About this. this is the the fracture of all this comes post uh, really the solo albums, mm-hmm. and, they've, and then, they've inadvertently set themselves up in adversarial positions as opposed to a team yep. or, or a cohesive band unit and then sure as shit like we said first show canceled and and even paul mentions in his book he's like if that wasn't an omen of things to come oh yeah <laughs> yeah um and that was because uh it says here on the uh, wikipedia page that they needed more rehearsal time for the uh for the june 14th date but i'm sure there was something a little bit more to it I well i don't know they just it, they, they were I, there for like a week i think everything that i saw that was explained never really gave a reason Everywhere it just kind of said it was canceled. Right. Not really citing well, any, think, like, it was kind of implied ticket sales. The tickets yeah. weren't, yeah, the ticket sales were soft. Um, it's interesting also to note that Gene wears a slightly different costume on these first two, or in the, well, the first two shows, mm-hmm. not just Lakeland, I guess the day after, whatever show was after that, which was a more kind of a studded kind of encrusted yeah you know, he kind of had he almost had a bunch of rhinestones yeah, kind of plastered yeah, all about it, it was a, it was a little different and then it turned into what i call the crumpled up tinfoil i was gonna say yeah. <laughs> i never understood what that was all about i've heard uh interviews and stuff from people later on kind of looking at schematics and they were honestly trying to go for toho godzilla and, but they kind of missed the mark on that. But yeah. but I read up on how they actually made it. They took uh, similar plating to like what uh, football players use mm-hmm. and started using that spray foam insulation on it, oh, okay. and would spray that on mm-hmm. and then manipulate it as it was drying and then carve it and kind of right. shape it and then spray paint it. Weird or you know, or paint it, you yeah, know, whatever. Right it is. over they did, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of how they got that look was that weird foam sealant mixed with a couple other things and then kind of shaped it and carved it after that okay well this is gearing up to be uh looks like i'm sure in their mind this whole thing is they're starting in summertime a big summertime tour i mean it's perfect Mm -hmm. time to tour the kids are out of school got a fresh hot single you know it's yeah they've had a hot single and yet here they're already running into cancellations savannah georgia Mm -hmm. two shows in savannah scheduled atlanta one is canceled well the savannah show they they uh, sort of salvage a date because they use that canceled date to shoot their promotion. The uh, well, the videos. I guess you'd call them videos now. Yeah, was promotional yeah. films for uh, "I Was Made for Loving You" and sure, sure knows something. something. Those are directed by a guy named John Goodhue, and uh, he directed. I think he directed the video for Tom Petty's "Refugee." Okay, and uh, I think he did 
later on, Huey Lewis in the news had a hit with a song called "If This Is It." Mm-hmm. Oh, when they're in the, they're the, beach, the beach and all that. Yeah, same guy. <laughs> uh, but and then you know what? I don't have this. I meant to write this down. I actually know somebody that um, has firsthand knowledge of this. Ace goes fishing mm-hmm. and gets. Or a ticket or arrested or something for not having a fishing license. And this is in like the, the North South Carolina, Georgia area. I think this is in Georgia. Okay. And I can't remember the story on that, but <laughs> she told me about it. And then it popped up in like two different kiss books after the fact. And yeah. I was just like, cause you know, you get told something like that. And you're like, well, that's, that's interesting, you know, and you kind of wonder how what they're, you know, how they remember what, you know, but I, I meant to go back and do research on that. And I forgot. Um, that's funny. It's though. just an interesting little anomaly mm-hmm. that happened along the way. You know, normally, and, and I just said anomaly in conjunction with Ace Frehley without <laughs> any irony <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, normally it's uh, drunk driving or yeah. drug related. Yeah, but no, he gets a you know Ace party guy fishing gets arrested. And yeah. uh, and because we're kind of close in the dates anyway, uh, because we are based in Charlotte, North Carolina, our usual. Uh, their date for Charlotte wound up being what June? Yeah, June. I just lost again. Twenty fourth at the Charlotte Coliseum, and my mom actually had a funny story on that one. She said that uh, she was almost able to go to that one too, much like yours. And I can't remember if because the twenty twenty special couldn't have happened by then. No, not yet. Um, but there was something else that happened. Where it's like her parents were oh, like, yeah. okay. Yeah, you told us about that in the last episode. They okay. saw it and they were like, no. <laughs> uh, actually, I think it was one of those, you know how parents will find any little reason to say no? I think I actually distinctly remember this one because she was like, I would never do this to you. She said that she was getting ready. She was at like she was at school talking with her friends about how the Kiss show that night was going to be so cool and awesome. And then... She got home and she didn't do dishes properly, and there was still a spoon left in the sink. And she's like, "You didn't do dishes right. You're not going to the show tonight." <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, July 10th, they make it to Roanoke. Yep. You know, and I can remember that because it was like Christmas, and and I remember, um, I remember the lead into this. They they were doing big articles in our newspaper. They did a full color. It wasn't. It was a like a. It was a drawing. Uh, of of the dynasty cover mm-hmm. and they i remember they took up like the whole top half of this newspaper with you know and it was all you know i mean it was a big deal kiss yeah. coming to roanoke in 1979 was a huge deal things kind of shut down for a week i mean it was a really big thing now would and this isn't you know speaking negatively on roanoke i lived there too but would that have been considered an a market at the time no that's what i'm saying it's yeah. interesting they had to pick up this mm-hmm. you know it was considered to be i mean roanoke was a standard stop for a lot of tours back then. Okay. And then, you know, most people don't even know where Roanoke, Virginia is. Right. But it was, a you know, an interesting, one of the interesting factoids about Roanoke is that was, there was an AM station there in the mid seventies that is credited with breaking the single for Blackwater for the Doobie brothers, which became a big hit for oh, them. Oh, wow. I don't know how that would have worked out of Roanoke, but right, yeah, really? that's, they were <laughs> one of the first stations to really pick up on it. I guess. I don't know. It's interesting, it's, though. But Roanoke became a hot, you know, and I think because of that, you know, a lot of tours came through Roanoke. I can remember in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, you know, ELO and ACDC and Cheap Trick and big rock and roll town, huh? um, On uh, July 18th, they're in Cleveland. And this is when ABC comes and films their 2020 segment. Um. 
in my opinion, the band comes off very poorly in this piece. It airs a month later. Um, and ironically, the only one that seems grounded in this to me in any way, shape or form and not pompous and not dig me in my ego is Peter. Yep. Peter I know exactly very what down you're talking to earth, about. Very seems very chilled, very laid back, not happy to be here. Yeah, he's just he, you know he's reveling in the success without being like dig me in my ego. He's mm-hmm. like you know he's talking about you know one of the really great benefits of this is I'm able to provide stuff for my parents. I bought a home. Just for about him. to yeah. mention that you yep. know. Whereas Paul sitting there going, I feel like I'm important and I'm wanted by masses <laughs> and all this stuff. It really and you're gets just me like old. you know, and I'm like, I mean, I get it. You know, it, how can you not have that ego to be in that position yeah. where again everyone's you know telling you you're shit hot and you've got this, you've built this big empire. And of course, it's all kind of a charade because the very next day in Cleveland, it's an off day. And this is a very important event on this tour. They have a meeting with uh, Carl Glickman, their business manager. And it is not a positive thing. We have a problem. <laughs> they are discussing tour financing because they are hemorrhaging money, you know, and it's, uh, it's a kind of a deal where they wanted to do a lot of cutbacks and they figured, you know, you talked about a B stage. They wanted to, they proposed a B show, a scaled back version, a less costly version of the Kiss show. Oh, wow. Okay. Which, of course, was a non starter. Mm-hmm. They could not have a B show. Kiss has to be Kiss. Yeah. You know, Gene, of course, Gene has to fly. Mm-hmm. This That's is the, the thing, you know, that we didn't show. even mention this yeah, flying rig. That's they, the very first tour that had the flying they rig. They had the flying rig. And, and the earlier epi- and episodes, wow, the earlier dates um, was actually slightly different. So eventually, even in most of the uh, bootleg shows that we get, you see him just fly straight up into the rafters. Before, it was proposed for him to fly up, and then he would fly side by oh, side. Oh, yeah, side to side. Yeah, so yeah. he would kind of fly to the right side of the stage I for a second, imagine, then fly you know, they, all the way to the other, they, and then land in the center. They ended up creating a contraption like that for Garth Brooks years later, and that's where he got the idea. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see high-quality footage, because they said they did it I, for like the first three or four shows. Oh, they did? Yeah, they, oh. well, it got used for a couple dates, but then eventually it was just like, I, I think too something much. happened, or it was like freaking Gene out yeah. way too much, and yeah. he's like, just, put me, just pull right, me just, straight yeah. up. This is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, they're proposing, the business managers proposed this B show, you know, a scaled-back version. And, of course, this is refused outright. And they're confronted with hard numbers. And the number I have according to their business managers and what I've read was, look, you're going to lose a million dollars on this. Lose money. This is, you're not going to make money on this tour. You're going to lose. Not only are you going to lose money, you're losing a million dollars on this tour. And the, the great quote I've got is a flippant response from Paul Stanley. It's cheaper than not touring. This, this shows (laughs) where his head is at a sizable, Delusion here. Yeah. It's well, cheaper than not touring. Okay. Well, here would be my question, though. So, understanding kind of like the businessy side of it, is that just one of those quotes that are kind of weirdly misquoted? Because, okay, maybe they were proposing we either, because I know that li- we're going to get ahead of ourselves a little bit, but Paul also does mention that tensions got so high with Peter near the latter part of the tour, they were ready just to call it quits and go home. 
and that Bill had to basically talk them off the ledge and explain, you know, it's only a few more dates and then roll. Well, okay, so if you don't believe that, let's combine that story with this interview. I mean, I believe that that he says that story, and I believe maybe he believes it. Mm -hmm. I don't think they would ever have seriously considered that at this point. Well, so if if not, let's take little, if we're always looking for the true side of it, let's take little facts from that and apply it to this story. Maybe they were telling Kiss, you need to either scale it back, but Paul's going, if we cancel the rest of the dates, it would cost us more than a million. Maybe that's where it's kind of going. All the promises we've made would cost us more than a million than if we wrote it out. Right, but but that's not what's being proposed here. What's being proposed here is to scale it back. And they just, that's not, that's not even an option. Right. It's like all or nothing here. Which, in a way, shows that dogged kind of determination mm-hmm. and, and that shows a sizable kind of integrity in and of its own right. But right. at the same time, you know. Delusional. They, they, you know, you look back to the very beginning and they, again, even in the earliest days, you know, Bill of Coin was financing it on his fucking credit card mm-hmm. they can't understand that there's no way to pay for this and they also because they've always had it taken care of and, and they also weren't aware until the next album just how much money they were truly hemorrhaging due to overhead costs from a coin because yeah. they, they still were they were still well, a bit in the dark of how little money they we're were gonna, actually getting we're gonna get to that oh, here yeah, in a minute yeah. uh july 23rd a couple of days later a very important thing happens that uh, we'll we'll get into in another episode, but Larry Harris, the senior vice president of Casablanca, quits the company because he knows he's seen he can see where it's all going, and not just for Kiss, but for Casablanca. That's why he's not you know Casablanca just happens to be their label, but yeah, yeah, you know things are not only bad for Kiss, they're also bad for their label. It's kind of it's on on its last legs it's, at this point. It's it's all starting to crumble here. And Larry Larry Harris says, "You know what? And he, this is the guy who helped form the company. He's he's actually Neil Bogart's cousin, if I remember correctly. So he's he's and he's the second guy, mm-hmm. you know. And he's like, I'm out of here. Yep, <laughs> I'm out of here. Uh, July twenty fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth, and ninth." All uh, New Five York days, City. All held for Madison Square Garden. Yep. Only two shows are put on sale. Yep. Um, this kind of gives them the longest break they have on this tour in a weird way. They do play a show in Portland, Maine on the 28th. Or no, I've got the 20th. That's not right. Uh, they played uh, Cumberland County Civic Center in Portland on the 28th. Okay, well then... Oh, that's because the 28th didn't happen for MSG. That's... Then, so they only the played the two was shows. supposed to be another yeah. Madison. So they had a little break because of these shows that didn't get put on sale. They didn't do. Yeah. Uh, but the but thing the is, thing- is, between the 22nd and the 29th, let's see. It's one, two, three. They have between four to five cancellations. Yeah. Just in that short little time span. And so this tour isn't really doing what they hoped it would do. And it's um, uh, mostly uh, low ticket sales for and, the uh, and canceled this, dates. And this is all in the summertime. They haven't even traveled into the, the, the cooler fall and winter months yet. Um, but this is their, this is basically the only break they have on the tour. Um, 
But the perception of KISS is still very, very large. And perception, you know, kind of leads the whatever. I mean, they build a whole career on it. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a TV show called Benson that premieres in September of this year. It's a spinoff from a TV show called Soap, which was a parody of soap operas. And the character Benson was a popular character. He was the he was like the butler in the in the in the tv show Mm -hmm. and in the spinoff he goes to work for the governor and you know comedic hijinks ensue (laughs) you know but on on like i think it's the second episode of that first season there's a plot line that involves the governor's preteen daughter sneaking off to to a rock concert and who does it that she wants to go see kiss kiss of course you know, so so it's still and the, on the, and the idea of, that the that the that the daughter is a preteen is very I think signifies also who their audience is. Yeah, and and do you do you subscribe to the belief that the band was kind of they, that everyone kind of mentions that they were in so many words weirded out by the fact that they had gotten such a young audience? I you know I don't know because they say that now again a lot of this we get in hindsight we get a lot of like revisionist history we get a lot of like oh I've we al- knew I've always but, been confused by that because all of their actions leading up to it was gaining that younger audience all the knickknacks the action figures the comic books the TV movie right, where they're right. superheroes you know everything that they've done leading up to that point felt like they were trying to create that younger audience so for them to flip around and talk about in the middle of the dynasty tour Paul would break out in a cold sweat wet seeing how many preteens were out there you know he was like you know this would prove to be later detrimental for us at the time it, the only good thing was that there was a bunch of single moms out there yeah. you know? <laughs> whatever <laughs> look up and see I, look up did, did Sammy Hagar open any dates on this tour well uh, he did not okay because there's a story about Sammy Hagar getting kicked off of this tour because he swore on stage. So if he didn't huh. even open for yeah, him, that's kind of weird. Not on this tour. But um, apparently that was a no-no at any point. They were aware that they had the young the young audience. The idea, here, <laughs> the idea here is that is by design, but that's not by design from the band. That's by design from the management. Bill LaCoyne had this idea that if he caught them while they were young, mm-hmm. they'd become lifelong. They would be lifelong fans. And was LaCoyne correct? And was he I mean, not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at us now. Bill Coin. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Bill Coin at length here in another episode. But the guy really was a wicked genius. Wicked smart. Wicked smart. He he was wicked smart, you <laughs> dude. <laughs> no, he was though. And 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 mm-hmm. you know that yeah, he, there was gonna. You know, the problem was they weren't taking into account the idea of Kiss as a fad. Mm-hmm. And, and I hate to say it, but at this point, Kiss is a fad. And the because fad, they released such popularity. And and because they, of the what they were doing, this whole thing, I mean, it, it was going to play itself out. And here it is. It's playing itself out. September 19th, Fort Wayne, Indiana. A private meeting is held in a Holiday Inn conference room with uh, Bill Coin and the band. And uh, a lot of rumors were already flying. They had them fly in. They did it in this low key, you know, not a big city kind of place and out of the off, you know, a B market. Mm-hmm. Right. They did this on purpose. And everyone thought, okay, this is it. Bill's getting fired. Mm-hmm. The road crew were convinced that Bill, this is it. Uh, instead, <laughs> this is almost comical. 
instead uh they just uh reduce they they give him a two-year contract extension <laughs> but they reduce his commission from 20 percent. so basically he's like a fifth yep. member yeah uh, he gets a full percentage and, and we ran through that before it's yeah. like not only did he get a full percentage but he was still getting his pay cuts commission for the running stuff. the 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 for running the merchandise. So he was still oh, yeah, at this right. point the most well paid quote unquote member of that group. And it, they cut him from twenty percent to eighteen and a half. <laughs> I thought it was eighteen, oh, no. but yeah, 18 that, what a, a huge cut, man. I mean, you <laughs> could, it, it would make sense if you looked at it and went, okay, they cut him from twenty to fifteen. Right, you know that would that would be like okay, that makes sense. Eighteen, who came up with that number? <laughs> you, you know, there's a part of me that thinks they're sitting in there and they're working all this out, and Bill's just out foxing them, going, "Well, you know, that's what I'm thinking." Like they went in <laughs> with the what, fifteen. You know, we're going to cut you. We got to cut you. Well, how about you know? Well, I'll take a commission cut. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but he also is no longer going to receive commission on tour income. However, the tour staffing, uh, which he is paying for, he's no longer responsible for. So mm-hmm. that cost transfers over now to the band. That's yep. $250,000 a year. Yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> and they basically relieved him of a, 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 a huge then, amount of burden. Yeah, so yeah. now we're going to so, cut your commission a little bit. We're, we're also uh, going to take away this big bill. Yeah, this big... It's, it, none of this makes <laughs> any fucking sense. Now, maybe I'm just missing something completely and while I'm researching this because I'm not... You know, I don't possess any grand business acumen. I'm just an average schmo that likes Kiss, right? Yeah. But none of this looks like... I'm, the way I'm seeing this makes no fucking sense i mean unless there was extra things that you know just hasn't been discussed that we're just not aware of no i feel like anyone could look at that and go it's a wash and and they want to sometimes it's like they get sold or pass themselves off as like these business geniuses and clearly they are not it's like you look at this and you're like huh and we hear a lot more about how much they're not business geniuses by their management choices throughout the 80s but again we will get to that We're almost there, too. Yeah. (laughs) That almost feels like it's so far away, but no, this is coming up in like a couple episodes, too. Uh, A couple of weeks later, they make an in-store appearance at a record store called Great American Music. I think this is in... Where's the... I don't know. You know what? I have it as Indiana, but I'm not sure. But I just... Either way, it's just odd because at this point, they seem to be above having to do these sort of kind of appearances. promotional appearances. Right. And here they are at the height of, of Kistom, mm. you know, spinal tapping it. <laughs> they're, they're signing records at a record store. Well, I and mean, it's not, it's not like they're signing records in New York city or Los Angeles, making right. a big, huge spectacle out of it. They're in Indiana. Right. It's like, who put this together and why? It's a heartland. Man. I don't know. Yeah, you're maybe, right. Maybe it is one of those weird things where, Okay, so let, let's look at it purely from a business tactic standpoint, not from a making sense for a fan standpoint. They have huge followings in Detroit, you know, New York, all this stuff. And maybe they have decent followings in Indiana. But you know what? They haven't gotten as many experiences. So to heighten the fandom even more, let's have them show up at a record store. 
Because you know what? They're not going to get mobbed there and they can create special memories and the heart and, you know, and all these tiny little places. And these people are going to push the army even further. Maybe but, that was a th- well, aspect then, but, of it. But it, 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 it would make sense if they were doing that intermittently along the tour. This mm-hmm. is a, this is an isolated it was a single one-off? It's a one-off oh, okay. thing. Okay. Yeah. See, but see, that would make so, sense that they did it on yeah. the regular. Like but, if there was maybe five or six of those. We need to move tickets, sense. make record store appearances. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe they're just trying to make up for that one and a half percent commission loss or something for I don't fucking know <laughs> because the other thing too is you know it, it still makes sense for Kiss to do that because they were doing it during the solo album tours they well, would go and hit record yeah, stores and do signings but, but this just seems so odd to me but it is at odd. any rate on October 27th they're in Abilene Texas and PBS has a show called 321 Contact which is a science show for kids and an implied science mm-hmm. and what better way to show the application of science than to go to a concert and what better concert than kiss so they Absolutely. film they film kiss in abilene texas and create two segments out of it one is on light and one is on sound mm-hmm. i can remember watching this in fourth grade and this just blew the fucking room apart when they because <laughs> we had no idea because they would what they would do Back then, is the librarian had a, a videotape recorder, probably a beta recorder back then, and it, you know that was state of the art shit back then. You know, oh yeah, man. And they would, rec- and they had pull out cable, the rollout which TV. was another thing. Yep, they yeah. roll out the TV and they bring it up to the classroom and they play the tape and we will watch three, two, one contact. And when kiss popped on the screen, man, that room just came alive. You know, I the bet. teachers were like, shh, shh, shh. Like, yeah! <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, and it's their primary target audience. You know, it's like a room full of fourth graders, yeah, you know? Man. And, um, I don't know that I was aware they did two episodes. I can't rightly remember, but I can remember watching at least one of those mm-hmm. in fourth grade. And, and, the impact it had of course now this is readily available stuff on youtube mm-hmm. i don't know what that girl's name but god damn it <laughs> <laughs> of all of them that's actually one i wait, have wait 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 the- she fine <laughs> she fine just saying but um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, of, of all the things, I actually have not looked that one up. I've watched, um, I watched the, I, I guess maybe because I felt it was going to be too similar to the Land of Hype and Glory, where they kind of did a little bit of that backstage run of showing the way, you know, everything ran. Maybe that's why I hadn't looked it up, but I've actually not watched those bits oh, yet. It's really cool. It's a really good detailing of how that stage was assembled. Mm-hmm. And I it's may have got seen some really bits, good, but not the front to back. It's really, it's it's really interesting uh, it, because they come in and shows the load in. It shows them, uh, you know. There's the guy that walks the lighting truss. At the time, mm-hmm. that lighting truss was like the. I think this at the, in this point, I think this was the largest mobile stage in the world. Wow! If you look at it now, that lighting truss looks like. Something we'd have in one of our tiny clubs yeah, here in town. <laughs> but back then, you know, it's an octagonal kind of yep. shaped mm-hmm. with with the di- diagonal cross lines mm-hmm. and um then there's a guy that plays with the audio and does some voice manipulation with it okay and, that's and cool stuff so and, i guess for stuff like god of thunder and i want to say like that, that ken mcmanus who's this who's like part of their um uh, crew or whatever or part of the crew that does the staging and what have you 
He's featured. He ta- very nerdy kind of thing. He holds a, uh, a a color gel over the girl's face. He goes, "I put this gel up. You look like Dracula." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's it, but it's fun and it's cool. And like I said, if you you can find these on YouTube and they're okay. worth looking if you're into this stuff because you know, particularly on the staging and and the construction of oh, it, yeah. it's pretty interesting because when they started this show. They had a very difficult time trying to figure out how to make it all work and mm-hmm. how to get it loaded in and out, so you know, in a timely fashion. Efficiently, yeah. And by this point, they've obviously they've got it down to like like clockwork. It's a huge stage for its time, but um, it's it's pretty interesting. All the all the little nuances, nuances of, of how you know you see them put the you know like I think there's a time lapse thing where you see them put the like they put the kiss sign together and stuff. And uh, it's really, really cool. Um, it's cool that this stuff exists, you know, that you mm-hmm. can go back and look at it. Um, December 8th in Shreveport, 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 Louisiana. Peter sabotages the show. I was going to yeah. ask when that was because we read all about this in every uh, memoir. Th- this is fucking bizarre. But he drags the tempo of God to thunder to like slower and slower and slower until it just sort of grinds to a stop like on purpose and they all leave the stage mm-hmm. and you know i have you know i haven't seen any real detailed reporting as to what happened when they all left the stage but obviously <laughs> we can only imagine i'm sure there was a lot of fuck you no fuck you yeah <laughs> all the heavy new york which, coming out which which i think anybody that's ever been in a band eventually you know what your band has that yeah there's that moment when mm. everyone's like fuck you no fuck you no, uh-huh. fuck you we, we've had mild versions of that even over the last couple of years yeah <laughs> what we Just don't happens. hear about is what most bands usually have after that where they all go oh, oh, <laughs> not so much after this i don't think this happens here no no they, no. they return to the stage play two more songs and it's thank you shreveport and good night and mm-hmm. i don't think they even play rock and roll all night i don't think you know it's like what's going on here and the tour finally winds up on december 16th in toledo ohio and this is the last show with all four original members for another mm, till 1996 till 1996 now you think though if you look at this this is kind of a sad ending because th- this tour is is ground down they're ending in one of the most depressed towns in america in one of the worst economic times in american history and it's cold it's winter time this has to be miserable it has to be a miserable it's just a miserable way to end a miserable tour and you know now that this is over it's over yeah this is never going to be the same again ever ever this is the end mm-hmm. this is the of that era end. it's the end of not only an era it's really the end of kiss because everything that exists after this is based and built and centered around what has happened in this previous three-year period everything You're if right. this three-year period had not happened and we've talked about this. If they broke up in '75, which they very nearly did, when Before Alive went built, yeah, everything from '76 to '79, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, this defines what this band does even today. Yeah, this band has no reason to exist, but except for this one little window of time, which is you know, three years is a long time, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a blink of an eye. And look at what they've accomplished in this short period of time. Yeah. 
and they've just ran themselves down to nothing. And we talk about it in most of the episodes leading up to this. Like they don't take any breaks. They're just they just been on the go it's, since 1974, and it hasn't nothing has changed nothing even that, in this time yeah, period. They've not been granted any kind of. I mean, well, they got their. They got their solo albums or whatever. And right, blah, but blah, they're blah, still blah, working and recording and everything, too. 79 shows over six months in North America alone. They never tour anywhere else in the world for Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And they will not tour North America again for another three years. Think about wow. this. The three years prior to this, there's going to be another three-year period where they will not tour America at all. Yeah. And there's so much change yet to come. But this is the end. I mean, this really is the end. The book is closing here because when they do reconvene, it's going to be a different band. Yep. In a much, in a very real sense. And one very important thing that happened this year that we did not touch on, and I was trying to see if it was recorded at a different date or filmed live, but on I literally had the day, October thirty first. Of 79. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was the infamous Tomorrow with Tom Snyder interview. I was about to and ask was, when that popped up. And I was up. trying to look up some additional information to see if it was pre-recorded on a different date and then aired or if they were kind of doing like that pseudo live or there was only like a little bit of buffer yeah, time. Yeah, you know what? I, we, I think we talked about that on the previous episode. I, uh, to a point, yeah, but we didn't. I, we we actually, never found that out, though. No, and I actually did a dive into the Tomorrow Show just mm-hmm. to actually like find out the way they film things. Everyone, everything talked about, you know, preview shows and you know, kind of like some format changes, but they never really described what the actual filming process was. If it was because even like the live with late night shows that happen now. They're filmed during the day. Yeah, they're, I'm sure they're recorded in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah that's and then they unusual. do a fast edit and then mm-hmm. air it that night. Right. I'm sure that was the same thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they were playing that night. So, and where were they Texas. scheduled? Texas. So there's, I can't see them. You that's know. what I'm saying. Yeah. So at some so point, did, I was it Tom Snyder were, in New York? I'm pretty sure. I'm wondering if they did that back in the in July when they had that. But that. Okay, but that would also make sense, especially if it didn't air later on. Well, I don't know. They reference the video they're watching. They show preview shots. But well, they show the clips that they filmed in Savannah for the sure enough something. And you're okay, yeah. So that might have been they even the had first couple- time that ever got aired too. Mm, see, we're kind of piecing it together. Yeah. That's why I wanted to revisit that. Yeah. So I bet you that stuff was filmed a few months or about a month or so prior. And then they eventually got it released on that October show. But and, no, that I still love that interview, though. That, oh, yeah. That's still, it's, it's, it's classic, for sure. But it's interesting to note, too, in some of my additional research for it, no one really cared then. Like, no news articles really discussed the crazy interview. It was only in retrospect. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting. If they did film that in advance, and way in advance of it being aired. Why so much of it didn't get cut? Yeah, then they, they could have gone, you know what? We don't want to, we don't that, want that use. But then again, they may not have had leverage to. But they mm-hmm. would have known it was coming, and they would have probably done something to prepare themselves for it. Yeah, no one seemed to be really that bothered. I mean, you can nope. tell that they're probably a little annoyed. Mm-hmm. They always make it look like, Oh, look, you can tell they're pissed. They're yeah. pissed. Gene's pissed. 
I don't. I never looked at it that way. I could see him being annoyed. You oh know? yeah. But yeah. I think they're, by that point they were quite used to that behavior, and it was not out of line or 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 you know in any way unusual for them to have to contend with that. No. The the face I saw from Gene was being annoyed that every time he tried to talk he would get interrupted. Right. And I've and I make that face quite often. Hell, in my retail job, I actually had to stop someone. I was like, you know that every it's not with just me, but anytime someone starts to talk, you just immediately start talking, <laughs> and it's just it, so. Yeah, it's just a general annoyance thing of Biz being cut off in conversation. And of course, the highlight of that interview is Ace Freely. Oh well, yes, yeah, he's a he's a plumber. Yes, <laughs> but, but we he's talked a, we talked about player. that on the previous episode. But it does sort of illustrate, you know, it all leads down to this end moment. You know, to think that, I mean, you know, this concert in Toledo, December sixteenth. I mean, that's that's an historical moment because this is the end. I mean, it's the absolute end. You know, this is never going to exist again. Not in the same way. Yeah. When it when it comes back as a reunion thing, it's going to be largely a a, a revival thing or a what's the word I'm looking nostalgia. for? Nostalgia. Nostalgia, yeah. which is fine. I'm not and I'm not crumbing on that. And you know, I I gave my money to that quite happily. Right. But um. But, but the thing this is, 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 Kiss is a viable you know, for lack of a better term, groundbreaking or spearheading kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. You know. It's never going to be that again. And they, they they themselves didn't even know that it wasn't going to be the same again. No, no one did. Because, you because know, when Peter they, was invited back for rehearsals for Unmasked right. and everything else. And then we'll the decision was made. That. We'll yeah. talk about that in the next episode. But, you know, obviously when they do reconvene, it's going to be a different kiss because they're going to have a different member. Yeah. And um, But again, just kind of even with that kind of remorse, remorse, remorse idea of what you're kind of going through is like, yeah, not even they knew on that final date of yeah. all that annoyance that that would be the last time all of those members would step foot on stage again until the convention and MTV unplugged. And and the changes that the band's about to experience, and this is all still makeup era. It's all for the next three years. It's yeah. still going to be makeup era kiss, but there's still going to be huge monumental changes that are going to inform what they're doing, when they do it, and why they do it. Yep. And and I think a lot of this stuff people don't take into account, or if they do, they they kind of poo-poo it or whatever. But I think there's a lot of what's going to happen here that kind of leads into how they became what they were in the 80s. And uh, for better or for worse. I yeah. agree. <laughs> because, again, and I can't, I can't stress this enough, it's – over it's just like so final you know it's almost like you know it's like a almost like having a death in the family or something but no one knows it you know yeah. and it's like it's like having a death in the family but you don't find out about it until like the plane a year lands. later yeah. yeah and you're like what you know oh grand grandpa died a year ago you know? i mean this is kind of like this though because because every again just because of the fact this defines the band completely to yeah. this day everything they do everything they will continue to do is built off the success they had in this period and if they not had that success none of the rest would have happened yep or if it would have happened it wouldn't have really mattered and in a way a lot of it doesn't matter and we'll talk about that you know? <laughs> He's I mean, right. I'm not saying that to. Dinner. I'm just I saying, know, I know. you know, if that if that had never existed, it would have made no. You know, it makes no difference. No, I agree. This would have. This makes a difference because there's there's no other kiss. There's nothing to compare kiss to. 
short of Alice Cooper, which is not the same thing. No. There cannot be another kiss. Anyone that tries to fit themselves into this paradigm is only going to be imitating kiss. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, they cornered this and 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 held it in a way that it's like it's you can't duplicate it. It is completely a unique, original thing, the likes of which will never, ever, ever happen again. It had never happened before. And, I, and this is going to be controversial. This will be controversial, but I think the only band that even got close to doing it again, this is not me saying I'm a fan of the music or anything, but I think the only band that captured the imagination of teens again with secret identities, a more aggressive look, and no one knew who they were was Slipknot. Yeah, they I did, agree with that. They yeah. actually did that a little bit for that first, I think, like six or seven years as a band, almost similar to Kiss. They did not; no one knew who they were but behind I don't the think masks. They didn't have the impact. That, uh, they might not have as even, much. You know, they may have been a more commercially successful group than Kiss was in mm. to, in, in certain aspects. I don't know. I'm not. I'm, I'm not a fan that. either. But they didn't have that cultural impact. You know, it's like made like, certain communities. No, Kiss was huge. There's never going to be a Slipknot TV movie, man. You know what I mean? They're okay. not going to. Uh, okay, they, I see just you're not. Going. I don't yeah, see yeah. that band ever getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. No, I don't see people in in even now. And that band's been around twenty years or whatever. I don't <laughs> see people going. You know, I, I can't even name the individual members of Slipknot. I only know one, Joey Jordanson. You know, and I'm just like I'm Probably like Slipknot. Is- is that there's too many members, but that's a whole other problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, what, and, we're, and we're not, divulging look, now. I'm not shitting on Slipknot. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying Kiss is still the next level. Oh, it's it is. Still, and that's why I'm just saying like, even them, though, I think they were the closest any other band got yeah, to it. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, it's just like this is something that was so big and it, it just was, you know, and Huge. I think it's a product of its era. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it could have happened in any other time, you know. There was a kind of a cynicism in the 70s, but it's not the same cynicism that we have today. Yeah. That people, you know, uh, you know, they sort of embrace this sort of stuff. You know, there was an escapist kind of the cynicism was for escapism. Yes. Now the cynicism is you're cynical towards escapism. Mm. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, it is. And it's like we, you know, as a culture, we embrace this stuff and we've talked about this, the evil Knievels and Mm -hmm. the, and the Fonzarellis and, you know, Lenny and Squiggy and Sha Na Na and Kiss. I mean, it all fits, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, and I don't think, you know, I can't think of any other time in, in, in American history before or since where you had such a concentrated era of so much like pop culture, whatever, you know, thrown in, in it all stuck. Yeah. It all worked. And it was like universally, it, it was all recognized, it was, you know, because I think in a way now it's being, you know, we're in an era with the, you know, with, with the internet and what have you, you've got mm-hmm. so much information coming at you. It's hard to assimilate it all. And yeah. it's like certain things do grab, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't think it's like, quite the same well i think even in the large versions of pop culture today i mean i would consider myself a huge marvel fan and Mm -hmm. a huge star wars fan but even then the fandoms for both of those even though like spider-man no way home the latest movie that's out by the time of this recording it's it's going to be in the you know top 10 films of box office wise over the last 10 years i mean it's doing huge it's doing numbers that you know post pre-covid had right so but it's still hard to even get fully assimilated into a Marvel fan base mm. because there are so many people that are just like, 
kind of like okay with kiss oh yeah i like kiss that that rock and roll all night song right you know the true fandom for the escapism isn't there it's just to the point of escapism is such a modern day thing that no one truly latches onto it it's so disposable right and well that's gonna play into a mm-hmm. lot of what we're gonna talk about as far as the 80s because by the you know by the time of the late 80s and it's just a 10-year stretch you know we're talking about late 70s inflation was high you know we'd gone through the gas crisis or whatever by the late 80s you know it's back it's almost like the 50s you have a, a, a teen subculture a teenaged subculture that has a large amount of disposable income mm-hmm. and you know even the most uh, unremarkable music acts can sell millions of records mm-hmm. because, that is something because you just bought it you know oh they do that song and you can buy the you know a cassette was the was the medium of choice we'll talk about all this but well i was yeah. gonna say that's all very important because i remember in our early episodes of no time to turn we also kind of discussed where political climates and socioeconomical mm-hmm. and economics were mm-hmm. at the time and how that kind of played into why kiss in the early days did get that smaller pop in the smaller mm-hmm. communities because that was that version of escapism they wanted and then yeah with the way the economy is going to turn in the 80s it does kind of shape the musical landscape some and i don't think kiss is fully prepared for that no and you know the other thing that you know that i can speak from memory is this whole shift right now from the 70s to the 80s it almost felt like you know there was a it was a big thing about like it's going to be the 80s like it's this whole new era is opening up the even 80s. the ramones were singing it's the end of the century yeah but yeah it was huge it was like but a lot of these established groups were trying to figure out how they you know this was a big thing how are we going to transition into the 80s and stay contemporary and stay current and relevant you know and you see a lot you'll you know if you, you it's easy to see now but it, you know you'll see like these groups kind of changing their sound and their approach you and their know, look and, and their look and everything, you know, everyone started cutting their hair. That was a big thing back then, you know, and a lot of this is getting informed by the punk and what they called quote unquote new wave subculture. Yeah. And you're seeing that manifest itself on the, on a more of a mainstream commercial level and they're adopting these sort of ideas, but they're still kind of, applying them in their own way Mm -hmm. and kiss is going to be a part of this how does kiss transition into the 80s how are they going to you know become an 80s group and of course we'll we'll explore all of that and we'll do that in the uh upcoming episodes of no time to turn we hope you guys will stick around for it because things are going to get really interesting and uh it's going to be confusing in in a lot of ways there's a lot going on but Mm -hmm. um be fun we're getting ready to turn into 1980 we're going to see a lineup change we're going to see a curiously named album that doesn't (laughs) do what it claims and uh we're we're also going to see kisses really they're kind of their waterloo moment and an Australian tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because as much as things are kind of dipping for them in the U.S. It's still popping in other places. Big time. And maybe that's part of their delusion. Absolutely. And we'll talk about that on the next episode of No Time to Turn. So for Cap Nunn and Alex Stiff, I'm Russ Ward, and we'll see you next time. Good night! Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.